Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray. I'm here with Ellen McGirt, and I'm very excited about our guest today. She is Michelle Goss. She is the CEO of Kohl's, which is a big company. It's number 165 on the Fortune 500 list, 19 billion in revenue. She's been CEO since May of 2018. Uh, and that year, she was number four on our Business Person of the Year list at Fortune. So she is a force to be reckoned with. She really is, Alan. Um, and I'll tell you, I'm feeling like a very lucky journalist these days because I've gotten a chance to work with her a lot recently on our CEO initiative. Um, she's, a, she's a very busy member of that executive community and was co-chair of the Equity and Opportunity Working Group along with Antonio Neri of HPE. And this was a very busy year to think about what role business has in making sure that employees, all employees are successful and they're translating their ideas about equity and inclusion to their stakeholders, to their customers, to their communities. And she has been on fire. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in this episode. Michelle, welcome to Leadership Next. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alan. It's great to be here. Before we get into all of the things that you have been doing and planning, and I know that you have a, a new strategic plan that you just published, and we'd like to hear all about that, I thought we could just talk a little bit about what Kohl's actually is for you. You you are, you are don't like the term department store. Um, how do you see how Kohl's fits into the retail landscape and into all of our lives? I don't think Kohl's really fits in a box because we are our own thing. We're not a department store. We're not a mass retailer. Uh, we're an omni-channel retailer that serves families. And that has always been our true north. We have evolved and adapted to changing families' needs. And that's the big, the big pivot we're making as we look ahead. But, um, you know, I think we offer an incredibly easy and convenient experience that over time was largely defined by our brick and mortar stores being off mall. So 95% of our 1200 stores are off mall. They're designed in a way that can be in and out, very convenient, or certainly as long as our customers want to browse. And then of course, over the last five years in particular, it's been building the omni-channel capability. So we have a very strong digital business now that's been critically important during the pandemic. And that's both front of house and back of house. So back of house, we use our stores to fulfill a lot of digital orders. 50% of our orders, even this last quarter, were fulfilled by our stores. And increasingly important is the front of house capability. So with customers ordering online but wanting their product quickly, we can deliver it to them from our stores within an hour or two. And curbside, which we stood up the early part of the pandemic, in fact, the team developed and launched that within two weeks of our stores being closed. That is a great convenience. Our customers are adopting that readily, and we see that as an ongoing now capability and service to our customers. So let's talk a little bit more about the early days of the pandemic, because it, it strikes me that you were hit in the twin pandemics. One, you're a brick and mortar store. People need to come in to buy things, even though you've got strong digital capability. What was that like? And then the second piece, of course, is the social unrest also came to your backyard. Well, let's first talk about the pandemic and what that meant for a company like Kohl's. So 
March of 2020 will always be very memorable for me because where we started March and where we ended March were very different. And in fact, you know, we were getting ready to share with our investors and kind of largely the world mm -hmm. our new strategy. That date was set for March 16th and we had been working hard on that for months leading up to it. It had started as, of course, a live event. It was gonna take place in New York. Hundreds of people were gonna attend. As February uh, unfolded, late February, early March, and as the pandemic became really real for America, as we saw those signs, we moved that to a webcast, still holding that date on March 16th. And it was days before that prior week, I was actually in New York, um, March 12th, March 13th, where we saw what was happening, declared a global pandemic, saw what was happening with the states and closing up um, and how serious this thing was, was. I mean, I think all of us as individuals are just, we're sort of just taking a step back, like, what is this? Something that certainly I've never seen in my lifetime. Yeah. And, and so we had to call it cancel or postpone that investor day because what were we going to tell investors, you know, when we didn't even know what the world was going to look like? So if you don't mind, Ellen, I, I'd love to stick with that because one of the hardest things to do in business, as you know, is when you've made a decision and you're executing against that decision to have the courage and the willingness to say, you know what? this isn't going to work. The strategy we came up with was yeah. for a different world than the world we live in today. And what was that like? That has to be really difficult. It was extremely difficult. I mean, literally huddled with a few members of my team on Thursday evening, March 12th, making the decision to postpone that conference. I mean, we were, we were looking at the broad trends and what was happening out there. We were looking at our own business, especially in stores, going, what is happening? Because at that moment, even before we closed our stores, and we didn't know when that was gonna happen, but we began to see the telltale signs, you know, customers just weren't shopping, right? I mean, they were, they were being directed to start staying at home. And so, I mean, it, it was like something we'd never seen. During this time and beyond, agility, decisiveness, operating without perfect information, all things we've talked about, but boy, to this level, um, have never experienced. So making that decision, which was a hard one, especially given all the work we had put into it. I mean, we were finalizing slides and scripts literally up until that day, March 12th, and, and then saying, you know, we had to postpone. And then a couple days later, March 16th, the day that myself and my leadership team were supposed to be you know, up on stage talking about our exciting future. Instead, we were all huddled around a conference room, figuring out what moves we needed to make to, you know, come out the other side of this. That requires you to make decisions, not just on what happens next week, but to judge what are the things that are happening right now are going to endure, that are going to be there when you come out on the other side. So you had to predict a year in advance, what, how the world was going to be different. Well, you know, I think in that moment, it was really about what do we think is going to happen over the next six months? So March 16th, we looked at it first and foremost, we got to make sure financially we can navigate through this, recognizing that 75% of our business was going to be shut down. And at that moment in time, we didn't know if it was going to be six days, six weeks or six months. And I don't care how strong of a business you are, you know, at that moment you need cash, right? We have employees to pay. We have 
rents to pay. We have, I mean, so, so like the pressure to make sure that we had financial liquidity. And so in that moment, what can we cut immediately? How do we work with our vendors to dramatically reduce our inflow of goods? Because if our stores aren't open, you know, where's all that product going to go? And I will say all of our partners stepped up in an incredible way, um, whether that was merchandise vendors or marketing partners, so that we could significantly bring down our outflow of cash and then make sure that we had enough cushion liquidity to get through this period. So like many, um, we tapped our revolver. We actually upsized it to a billion and a half. You know, a few weeks later, we end up going to the market, took out another $600 million in bonds because we need to make sure that we had that financial cushion. So first and foremost, how do you protect the financial viability of the company to navigate that? And actually not in order, equally important is what do we need to do to protect our associates and our customers. And um, clearly closing our stores was a big part of that in the short term. It also putting quickly putting new procedures for our frontline workers who are still gonna operate during this time. So we still were gonna operate our digital business. It became even more important. So, you know, being in the front of the line to order tons of hand sanitizer, plexiglasses, and whether that was in operations like our distribution centers or frankly, now thinking about, okay, we have to change the operations of 1,200 stores. How are we gonna do that? How do you fit plexis on these registers? How do you make sure you have supply? And I will tell you, the team did an outstanding job. Even before the stores were closed, they were working with a bunch of suppliers and figuring out how to do this. And, and we were benchmarking lots of companies, including places like grocery stores, to make sure that we could operate in a best-in-class way. And that was the goal. You know, in our stores, they are, they are spacious and they are open, but we made sure that they were even more so. We cleared out product, we cleared out aisles, we did lots of things so that our people would feel safe and that our customers would be safe. And again, we didn't know when that day was gonna happen, but we were prepared. So March 20th, another day I'll never forget, ended up being our first day of stores being closed. And they were closed anywhere from seven weeks up to 17 weeks. One of the things that you and I have talked about in the past was your immediate commitment to radical transparency and communication. I mean, you really changed how you talk to people in the company close to you and also far away. Could you talk a little bit about some of those mechanisms and why it mattered so much? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point, Ellen. There's no playbook for this, right? We were making it up as we went. And so my instinct was, okay, we have 100,000 associates across the country. What are they thinking right now? I mean, all of us are just sort of stunned. It came so quickly. And um, at that moment, you know, just thinking about the uncertainty, I'm thinking, God, they must be scared. I'm thinking about our store associates going, okay, are, are we gonna close stores? What are we gonna do? They're hearing it from their neighbors, from their customers. So um, we had at that point never done a live broadcast to all of our associates um, through technology. And it was, it was a big test to see if we could do it. And so I told our head of communications, okay, we've never done it, we've got to set this up. So the team did an incredible job, stood up the technology. So after the meeting with my leaders on all the decisions we had to make, I went down to our little studio and did a live broadcast of um, you know the world as we know it it's probably never going to be the same. And basically to be vulnerable and to be one of them saying, I'm going to tell you what I know, right? And importantly, I'm going to tell you how we're navigating. 
And I promise you that I'm going to continue to communicate with you along this journey. Ultimately, um, I did those, those messages weekly for many months at the early part of this. And um, it was everything from really tough news. You know, I went live the, right away when we were making the decision to close our stores. A few weeks later, we had to make the very difficult decision to furlough our store associates because the stores um, weren't going to open for some time. And so I delivered that message as well on the video. I think it's really important for leaders to stand tall with, with the good messages, but importantly, the tough messages. Um, you know, back to the furlough, it was also, though, it was, it was helpful for me to deliver the full message that, yes, we were furloughing 85,000 associates, but we were going to continue healthcare, as an example. And um, the technology team actually found a way that while these associates were furloughed, that they could get my communication. And that was really important. And again, the feedback I got, I would have never imagined how important that touch point was seeing me weekly. And you know, there were times I was recording that from the office. There were times I was recording it from home. And, I, and it was just, it was a shared human experience during this time. I didn't have all the answers, but I just wanted to provide as much clarity and a sense of calm as I could amidst all of the uncertainty out there. And that, that leads me to the the unrest and the movement for equity and justice and followed George Floyd's murder, which was very much in your backyard. The communication style and the the new urgency that you had put into place after the pandemic came even more handy as you began to make changes around diversity and inclusion. How did you first start? How did you first start to think about what this quest for equity meant for Coles? Yeah, Ellen, so... As you know, and we've spent time talking about this, um, I am very committed, very passionate about this topic. And I would say, Coles as a company, we're still in the very early chapters of the changes we're gonna make. That said, back to how all of this unfolded, thankfully we had this new kind of system up and running with these video messages, et cetera. And I had a whole plan of what I was gonna talk about ahead of when George Floyd's murder happened. and. As that unfolded, again, I just said, scrap that, we got to talk about this. And, you know, I think at that time, again, this was all, this was new for a lot of leaders to be out right. there that publicly, and in our case, started with my associates and, you know, talked to 100,000 people. You were talking to the public, right? And, um, you know, it was to be just really authentic about what I was going through and my personal experience, but also to at that point, without a fully baked plan to say, we are gonna be part of the solution. And yes, we have been making great progress on our diversity and inclusion efforts, but it's not enough. And I think we can use this as more of a wake up call and a catalyst for change. And you know, it was really important and I got this feedback for our associates to hear from me. Right. This this was not going to be something that we were just going to let kind of happen quietly. And so, you know, it, an email was not sufficient. And also, I would say, and at that point, our stars had started to open and our Minneapolis market was open. And I said to our head of stores, we have to go up there. We have to go see how they're feeling. And that trip up to Minneapolis shortly after the George Floyd murder will will certainly be up in my kind of history book of, of most memorable and impactful moments in my, in my life. 
And, you know, we went up, we visited with stores and hearing their stories of what it felt like, you know, with all of the, you know, everything that was going on and closing stores, boarding up stores, getting customers out, you know, safety took on a new level of meaning in that environment. And I, I really went up there just to say, thank you. Turns out I met uh, one of our associates, his name was Rob, lovely, lovely guy who was spending all of his free time volunteering at the George Floyd site. And he invited me and my colleagues who I was traveling with to go. And so we went and I came back from that. I was already committed, but even more passionate about the impact a company like Kohl's can have to be part of the solution. Michelle, it was such a difficult time and doubly so for you being there at the epicenter of it. Every action has its reaction. The reaction in this case was the defund the police movement. How did you address the defund the police movement? You know, for us, I'd say the position I took and the company took is, is not viewing this as a political issue or taking sides. It really is a human issue. And I stuck true to my beliefs and our values around driving change and influence around diversity, equity, and inclusion broadly. And so one of the first things we did was establish an internal task force. We had a diversity team. They were doing great work. But it's like, no, we need the whole company around this. And I told our chief people officer, I told Mark, I said, and I want to be the chair on that. I want to go to the team meetings. I want to be personally engaged and involved in, in how we approach it. Ultimately, that created a blueprint for us. It's pretty straightforward. It's the change we're going to make among our people, for our customers and in our communities. And we have detailed plans and initiatives under each of those. That has been shared broadly with all of our leaders. It's been shared with my board of directors and we're gonna hold ourselves accountable to real progress. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, the CEO of Deloitte US, which is the sponsor of this podcast. Joe's one of the most thoughtful people I've met on the topics we discuss here every week. Joe, thanks for joining. Alan, pleasure to be with you. Joe, leadership in crisis is very different than in normal times. You have to make these gut-wrenching trade-offs and very fast decisions. What kind of advice do you give to leaders who are navigating these very choppy waters? There are a few critical dimensions that have to come together seamlessly. You obviously need to be able to get to the right decisions quickly, and that takes the ability of the executive team and the board to synthesize large volumes of information, to make sense out of uncertainty, but just as importantly, communicate those decisions effectively to take your whole organization on the journey, demonstrating a sense of calm and confidence, finding that balance of delivering candor and straight talk, while at the same time laying out a vision that's optimistic instilling confidence that great organizations will come through challenging times with strength. There has to be a light at the end of the tunnel. That's not an easy task. I actually view being realistic and credible around the current situation as the price of admission to be able to talk to your people about a more optimistic future. Joe, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So let's go back to the strategy if we can. You, you put all the time and energy and effort, and I know what this is like, into coming up with a strategy. <laughs> and then, bam, the pandemic hits. And you say, oh, that's not right. Out the window. Focus on the immediate. But then in September, you have a new strategy. So 
how did the strategy change? Well, how did the world change and how did the strategy change to address a new world? We have a really unique opportunity to kind of rethink our business and make sure that we are right there with the customer. Where's the customer going to go in this new normal? And so it started with doing a lot of homework around the trends, the customer, our own data. And I'd say the good news is there were elements from our prior strategy, but taking it to a whole new level. So the way I would streamline, I guess, the conversation is really around three key trends that we saw taking on a whole new meaning. One was clearly the role of digital and omnichannel. I'm not the first person to talk about that. Um, we're all talking about that, but you know what would have taken five to 10 years is happening in a matter of months. Good news is we had made the investments, we're positioned, we're leaning in, and even driving more innovation, things like curbside, more to come on that. Second point is the role of value. I'd say Kohl's has always been a great value player. That's going to become even more important. Um, so we're accelerating some of our efforts there. We just launched our next generation loyalty program as an example. I mean, some people are like, wow, you're launching this big, big program in the middle of a pandemic. Right, we are, because we have to keep innovating. I mean, the world has not stopped. We're just operating a bit different. And then the third one, which I would say is the biggest pivot for the company, is really redefining what the brand stands for and I'll call it the things we sell. And it's squarely focused on the active and wellness lifestyle. So we had, I mean, one of the, the really defining parts of our business the last five years has been us focusing more on active. You know, that's 20% of our business. We carry the top active brands. So Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, we have our own private brands. And it's been a big part of our growth over the last five years. That business has doubled. It's 20% of our business. We see that growing to 30% or more. But I think more importantly in this new vision statement that we've put out there is to be the most trusted retailer of choice for the active and casual lifestyle. And kind of fully moving from, if anybody still thinks about it as a department store, definitely not that, but really being the specialty concept that serves the family for all of their active and wellness needs. And what I mean by that is, you know, this is not just about apparel and it's not just about footwear. Yes, it is those things, but it's wellness for the home. It's healthy cooking, it's healthy sleep. I'd put beauty in there, right? Clean beauty, healthy skin. So bringing all of these things together in one place so that we can support our families leading a more healthy lifestyle. And oh, by the way, right, that has been one of the major accelerations during the pandemic. I mean, some of the stats you know we've seen is you know, for the first time, people who exercise outnumber people who don't. Yeah. The growth in these categories, these are growing categories we've seen in our business. So we have a tremendous opportunity to fully tap into those categories. We already have equity there. And then we will divest other businesses that aren't true to this new mission. I find the, the framing of the new Kohl's or the new Kohl's place in the lives of consumers and families is to be a really beautiful one. And I'm curious how you are able to link that sense that you are bringing and supporting wellness and health and others with your employees and or other stakeholders. How do you link that as part of your mission? Oh, yeah, I think it's, it's critical, Ellen, because you have to, it has to be core to your values and that has to be expressed 
with all of your all of your stakeholders. And that has been, I mean, it's been a personal mission of myself since I joined Coles to make sure that we are supporting health and wellness for our associates in many ways. So we have um, you know, great support from a healthcare standpoint. We have programs. Um, we create initiatives for them to embrace healthy lifestyles. We actually, even on our, our campus here, we have a full wellness center. So we have staffed with, with doctors and nurses and physical therapists and a gym. And I think it's wellness and helping out families broadly. So even here on our campus, we have one of Wisconsin's largest daycares, you know, and, and every morning when I come in um, and they're open right now. So, you know, I'm in the office. We're clearly not at full capacity, but we have a couple hundred people who come in every day. And mm-hmm. for those that want and need that childcare, we offer that as well. You mentioned that you had developed a blueprint across your, your stakeholders after your task force work had really moved ahead. And I was curious when listening to your employees, if anything bubbled up during that work that really surprised you. I don't think anything really surprised me per se. I was incredibly pleased with how quickly our blueprint has been embraced. And kind of back to those pillars around diversity, equity, and inclusion, how we're going to create a more diverse workforce, right? So where are we strong? Where do we need to further amplify? Um, I will say we've made very quick progress, like in our intern program. So we have one of the biggest intern programs in retail. Every year we hire 500 interns plus that are in our stores or working in one of our campuses. So we have the campus here outside Milwaukee. We have one in California, one in New York. And this past intern class was the most diverse ever. So it really starts there and kind of goes all the way up. But then we're demanding much more diverse slates at all levels of the organization. We accelerated um, some of our training. So unconscious bias training, all 100,000 associates will have that training by the end of the year. As it relates to our customers, we're making a lot of great progress there. We have been over the last few years really ensuring that our creative reflects diverse families. And I'm really proud of that work. Um, so that's been underway for some time. But how do we how do we up our media buys? And especially on product, how do we make sure our product is culturally relevant and serving these diverse families? And then community, so much to do there around creating empowerment. And one of the things I'm very focused on is our supplier base. Mm. We have scale. So how do we broaden and further diversify our suppliers quickly embraced by the team as well? That is very cool. I can imagine a, a future set of benchmarks where you're measuring the health of communities where coal stores are, which would be a really interesting way to weigh in on the broader social issues. Which reminds me, I think for our last question, I'm going to ask you to put your philosopher queen hat on. What we talk about a lot in this podcast is stakeholder-centered capitalism, what that means, sort of the, the days after the business roundtable declaration that we needed to think beyond shareholders to describe value for the purpose of our businesses. Is this real? Is it happening? Are you seeing it take root? And uh, if so, what are the benchmarks that you're looking for to describe your Kohl's value across the stakeholder spectrum? So Ellen, I mean, I, I fully believe that it is the responsibility of a CEO to be of service. You know, it is the philosophy of servant leadership and we have multiple stakeholders. So clearly it's our investors, 
and as a CEO, ensuring that we will drive long-term sustainable health growth on the business. It's being of service to our employees, our associates, and how we're creating an environment that we're nurturing talent so they can do their best work, and that we're projecting our values, which clearly to this conversation, diversity is a key part, and then being of service to our customers. And you know, this notion of trust, of values, of being a purpose-driven company, it's always been important to associates, employees, and to customers, and that is only growing in importance. So to me, doing the right thing, right, taking care of your customers, driving your values with your people, it leads to better outcomes. So these are all connected and all the things we've been talking about, being a great company, values, purpose-led. I mean, our purpose is about serving families. And what we like to say here at Coles, it's all about inspiring and empowering them to lead more fulfilled lives. And this new health and wellness agenda, you, know, you can't have a fulfilled life if you don't have a healthy one. And so I do view our role, yes, we are here to drive shareholder value, no question. But we will do that in a way where we can also have our little piece of making the world a better place. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 